Matt Masio from Masio Wealth Management is coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. At Navy Federal Credit Union, we want you to know that we have your back. We've all faced tough challenges individually, but right now, we're facing some together. And the safety of our members, employees, and community is our first priority. All right, Matt Masio with Masio Wealth Management. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. We're going to be talking about business and entrepreneurship and what you're doing. Before we do that, I'd like to hear what you did when you are in the Marine Corps. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I was a generator mechanic in the Marine Corps. I uh, signed up and went through the res- I was a reservist, and uh, that, that's what I did while I was in the reserves. And before we, uh, before we hit the record button, we're ta- telling a few boot camp stories, uh, always uh, good, good humor stories there. So um, as a Marine Corps reservist, where, where was your reserve unit and what were you doing on the civilian side while you were being the uh, weekend warrior? Yeah, my reserve unit was in Wichita, Kansas. And I signed up when I was, gosh, maybe 30 days after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my boot camp. I was a Hollywood Marine, so I went to San Diego, then mm-hmm. uh, Pendleton for infantry training. Then uh, my MOS was at Camp Lejeune. And then after that, I enrolled in college. So while I was being a reservist, I was knocking out classes to get my degree. Were you able to get everything in that summer, or did you miss the first fall semester of school? I like did not. I was about a year behind my peers. Okay, I yeah. I think to complete all that training took about nine, ten months, something like that. Yeah. And then how was it juggling uh, being a college student and going to drill weekends and AT and everything? It really uh, wasn't a huge transition. Um, it wasn't... Uh, it, it worked perfectly for me. It was a good time to do it. You know, I had some peers yeah. that were trying to work and they'd have to get off and all that. I didn't take summer classes. Uh, so it really wasn't a big issue for me. And I mean, for your time frame, did you guys ever get uh, mobilized for anything? No, I graduated in, in uh, 1994 high school, June 20th. I remember, remember that day very well. So I shipped off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I served from 1994 to 2000. That was my six-year hitch. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And so, you, when you, you know, unlike a lot of you know active duty folks, your your transition wasn't like an extreme from being on active duty to now you're all civilian. You were you're kind of half or three fourths civilian uh, most of the way through, anyways. So, talk about post college and and some of the things you were doing and trying out before you eventually got uh, into your wealth management company. Yeah, uh just kind of when I was going through college, I discovered I liked investing. Um was able to get in some classes. And it was just something when I graduated college, it was just strictly as a hobby. I was buying different stocks here and there, mm-hmm. selling them. To some degree didn't really you know, hadn't really figured out my investment style yet. That's, that's something I would go on and, and go on to figure out. But my, I was kind of working jobs in sales and I kind of worked for colleges and things like that. But my transition into my business happened 2005. My dad had a stroke and my mom 
had to take over the finances. And she asked me to help her. And that was working with the financial advisor. And I just told her what to do. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, kind of the light bulb goes on. This would be fun to do. And just kind of gravitated from there. Did you become a financial advisor with you know some of those other financial advisor companies first, or did you when you started off and got your license, and everything you just went out on your own? No, I did not go on my own. I worked for a company, uh, various companies, uh, and uh, for broker dealers, and did that. Uh, just trying to learn the ropes. I really didn't know mm-hmm. much about uh, building a brand, that pers- building those personal relationships for pe- with people, and that uh, definitely helped me get going from there and then later broke out on my own. So talk a little bit about what it's like working for some of those other brokerage companies and uh, financial advisor companies as an employee and you know what what was starting to develop in your mind as far as I don't want to work for these people anymore eventually I think I'd like to go do this on my own because I mean that's a pretty big leap in especially in that kind of an industry. Sure, absolutely. There were, there was a lot of things that I guess went on in that transition there, uh, to make that leap to go on my own, to form my own firm. But it really came down to me. There was a, there was a fiduciary ruling that went on and the brokerage firm that I was with at the time was not going to abide by that fiduciary ruling. And what a fiduciary is, is that they legally have to act in your best interest mm-hmm. versus a non-fiduciary advisor. They can put their own interests ahead of you. Their criteria is not as strict. And I kind of think of this, you know, if you're going to hire, if you're going to go to the doctor, maybe hire an attorney, they're going to, they should look after your best interest. They might be held accountable if they don't. And I felt if you're, if I'm going to manage your money, I should meet that threshold. And so that's why I decided to move to go on my own. That way I'd be a fiduciary. And so like, what's the actual definition of the word fiduciary? Does that mean the customer's best interest or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that term many times. I never really thought about what that term meant. That you have to act in your client's best interest. Okay. It's very common in the industry um, to maybe, believe it or not, there are, there are mutual funds that pay a commission. Oh yeah. And so as a, if you're a non-fiduciary advisor, I could put you in this mutual fund and get a kickback. Uh, right. a, a commission a commission yeah for so for doing that so, so here's my question though like if you sit down with a financial advisor you can can you actually ask them are you fiduciary or are you a non-fiduciary absolutely. And, and then they, they like have to say absolutely ask them that yes. they have to say i'm a non-fiduciary i'm like well why would i ever want to go with you yeah yeah exactly are you serious <laughs> i had no idea that like they, they either had to sign up with one method or another and that's what i believed in uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to take that route. And so I'm, that's the brokerage I was with did not really want to pursue that. And so I decided to make it on my own. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. You know, um, early on in, in my Marine Corps career, we, we had a lot of fina- military oriented financial advisor type companies that would always solicit with us. And, um, there's a, a lot of guys went with them and a lot of guys, I still remember a lot of arguing amongst, amongst my peers about, oh, those guys are ripping you off and no, you need to go out on your own, dude. Um, you need to do the, uh, um, the, the inexpensive mutual funds is the way to go do it yourself. And then these, you know, the, like some of these places, I'm, I'm not going to mention the name, but there's one, there was one that it, 
the first year, everything you put into the mutual fund or, you know, set aside with the financial advisor, 50%, it was a 50% uh, charge for the, everything you put in for the first year. That, that sounds an awful like a commission. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't the want- mutual fund that was charging. It was actually the financial company that charged you half of everything you put in the first year went to them. And then, then a hundred percent after the first year. But if you ever changed anything, removed it, then you would have to start over again. Yep, that, that's that's kind of a mutual. Typically, how a mutual fund works. Yeah. Uh, if you ever watched the movie Wolf of Wall Street, the <laughs> products he was selling was those uh, penny stocks for fifty percent commission, and that's the that's the difference. I wanted to not associate myself with putting our putting my clients' money and things like that. I wanted to bet put my clients money in the best investments for them. Yeah. You have, you know, front load mutual funds, which means you pay up front and then you have back end load mutual funds, which means you pay whenever you pull your money out. And then some of them would have, and it wasn't, there's also one where, well, there's a, there's a front load, there's a back end load, back load mutual fund, but every two years it reduces the amount. And if you stay in for at least six, then it drops to zero or something like that. So that, there's all sorts of uh, you know ways that they're getting commissions and things like that, but there are legitimately a lot of yep. uh, no commission type mutual funds that are out there. Um, is there any um, data or uh, philosophical discussion about mutual funds that have heavy loads on them perform better, worse, or no different than no load mutual funds? I would argue that that uh, ETFs. I think of mutual funds. I, I kind of compare mutual funds to kind of Sears, right? And, and ETFs or exchange traded uh, funds. What ETF stands for? Mm-hmm. I kind of compare them to like Amazon, right? ETFs are significantly cheaper. Point zero three. Uh, some are even charging you nothing. Uh, but a mutual fund typically is close, going to be closer to 1%, maybe a little over 1% fee mm-hmm. that they're charging. So ETFs are just dom- are going to dominate the future of different funds. That Can you explain going. a little bit? I honestly don't, I'm not, honestly not familiar with ETFs. Like mo- m- many of my early days for 10, 20 years, I was heavily involved in investing in mutual funds. I'm doing most of it on my own. But nowadays I'm, I'm retired and, I have a civilian job and all my stuff's, you know, loaded up in the 401k and I really don't have to do anything with it anymore. So I've kind of been out of the staying on top of the investment world. I've sure. heard of ETFs many times, but they're fa- they're fairly new uh, compared to like your no load mutual fund. So explain exactly what an ETF is. Yeah, an ETF is think of it buying the market. Like if you want to buy the S&P 500, uh-huh. you're just buying the S&P 500. There are small cap markets. There are international markets, things like that, and you're just buying that. It, oh, so tend- like an ETF would be called the S and P 500 ETF. Yep, and you could have the S and P okay. 500 growth right. ETF, the S and P 500 value ETF, and what it is is there's a lot of research out there that says that you're typically better off buying the market instead of trying to beat the market. That's not something I personally buy into, yeah. but these ETFs are 
you know, like I said, 0.03 versus a mutual fund, that's 1%. And the, the, when you look at it over the, the data shows that these ETFs are significantly cheaper and they're beating mutual funds. And so those are, as a fiduciary, I look at that data and I'm going to put you in, I, I think of it, what's going to be your best interest. And I'll look, look at those over and put you in what will be your best interest. But an ETF is typically not what we would call managed, referred to as passive. Mm-hmm. and Because they can basically set it up with a computer to buy and sell yep, it. And, uh, absolutely. As as something's in the SP500. And you're off and running. You own 500 companies. It's kind of diversified itself, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So what was it like transitioning out of uh, working for some of these other, uh, as one of their brokers, one of their, one of their um, you know, an independent with them or even an employee with them versus pulling away completely uh, out on your own? And now, now someone's not buying um, and – I don't know which companies you work for, but now now someone's not buying Edward Jones and you happen to be their Edward Jones guy or one of the other ones that's out there. Now someone's actually trusting you personally. So what, what was that like and how did you uh, manage to build that uh, trust level, really? Because really they're, they're totally dependent on you. Yeah, yes. The, I would say the biggest transition is losing that support. Uh, when you work for a brokerage, you mm-hmm. typically have someone that's doing your paperwork. If there's, oh, things that are wrong, uh, communication, things like that, you kind of have someone helping you with it. So I have to become that, that one-man band, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm doing the paperwork. And when you're on your own, you're doing compliance, you're reporting to the state, different things like that on your own. Um, but what I did is I was able to partner in this case, with TD Ameritrade, you can partner with Schwab. There are uh, we they're called custodians, mm-hmm. and so when I talk to someone, it's not like you're giving your money personally to me. You're really gonna it's gonna be held with TD Ameritrade in my case, mm-hmm. and then I help uh, you know put you in various ETFs, stocks, bonds, whatever, and it's in TD Ameritrade, which has a you know, a brand name, trusted name, things like that. Okay. And then if you decide, hey, we're going to make some movement or some changes here, do you just have carte blanche to go do it and then tell them what you did? Or you typically uh, sit down with them and have a plan of action but before you start moving stuff around or selling or buying? I always want to inform the client. Mm-hmm. I believe it's their money, and they need, they need to be at least told what's going on. I have discretion. Kind of when you become on with me as a, you hire me to be your advisor i have discretion what that means is i can go sell a stock or etf not necessarily telling you but i always have made an effort to tell my clients to do that there are some things um you know that maybe i can't get a hold of them and i'll just go do it but by and large i would say i do communicate with them what's going on you right. get them heads up yeah you know. all right well hold on there we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Uncertainty comes in many forms in military life, from unexpected changes in duty stations to sudden deployments. We've all faced tough challenges individually, but right now, we're facing some together. We know our members will face these times head on. Still, at Navy Federal Credit Union, we want you to know that we have your back, because uncertain times call for reliable service. No matter what, we remain committed to serving all of our members all the time. 
That means our branches will remain open as long as possible. And the safety of our members, employees, and community is our first priority. You can also get in touch with our world-class member service. Whether you're on ship or ashore, at home or abroad, we've had our members' backs for 87 years in good times and bad. Maybe that's why we've been named one of the best military credit unions by U.S. News and World Report. Serving active duty, veterans, and their families. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA. Make your hotel reservations and tune up your bikes. There's a new motorcycle demonstration ride taking place in Washington, D.C. over Memorial Day weekend. For the 33rd consecutive year, a massive motorcycle run will take place in the nation's capital over Memorial Day weekend to raise awareness of the plight of U.S. prisoners of war and the 82,000 service members still missing in action. The ride will be known as Rolling to Remember. The 2020 ride will also address the national suicide epidemic, taking the lives of more than 20 military veterans a day. In close partnership with several other patriotic organizations, AMVETS is organizing what is expected to be the nation's largest political demonstration of 2020 and the world's largest one-day motorcycle event. AMVETS invites you to join us in ensuring that our elected leaders never forget the sacrifices made by those who have taken an oath to defend this nation. The event is free to the public, but sign up to ride, volunteer, or donate by going to rollingtoremember.com. Once again, that's rollingtoremember.com. Over the course of the weekend, scheduled events will include a blessing of the bikes at the Washington National Cathedral, candlelight vigil at the Vietnam Wall, and speaking engagement at the Lincoln Steps. Sunday morning, thousands of bikes will take off from the Pentagon parking lot and make their way around the National Mall, rounding the Capitol building in the process. Go to rollingtoremember.com for more information, and we'll see you in May. All right, back talking with uh, Marine Corps veteran Matt Maciel from Maciel Wealth Management. Matt, so um, you've been wanting to help uh, military types, military veterans, military families um, in, in their investment strategies uh, specifically. And one of the things about the new blended retirement system that all new folks coming in uh, are under uh, is there, there's also the, the, the main option they have is the thrift savings plan. So you've, you, you were, we were mentioning during the break that you've had several military clients that got out and had money in the thrift savings plan and, and then you, you know, basically help them uh, either from the, with their investment strategy, you know, getting out, you've got a thrift savings plan. Where do you go from there? Typically with the thrift savings plan, you roll it into an IRA, an individual retirement account. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems that I see with a thrift savings plan is that maybe you signed up for that in California, maybe Camp Pendleton, and you moved around, moved around, and you settled in a uh, when you signed up for it, you might have signed up for it. You're very young or it changed plans change. And it only gives you about five options. You can be like in a hundred percent stock or 80% stock, 20% bonds, 60, 40, so forth and so on. So when I talk to people, they might've signed up for this and their goals have changed. You know, their, their risks have changed. Maybe they didn't have a family. Now they do and things like that. So these are the things I see that with the TSP, thrift savings plan that I talk to them about and say, okay, let's create a customized portfolio that fits, you know, your goals and your risk tolerance right now, not something that fit, you know, five, 10 years ago kind of deal. Yeah. Is the, is the thrift savings plan money pre-tax money? 
or post-tax money, or can you do either one? It's pre-tax. Uh, so, so it's like a traditional one of those things, IRA. Yeah, you, put, you put it in, and then at some point in the future, it will be taxed. It's going to grow tax deferred. Yeah. Okay. So when guys get out of the military, they, they can leave their money in the thrift savings plan. Is that true, or do they have to move it somewhere when they get out? They, they can leave it there. I, I have not seen cases where they are forced to move it out. They can, what I've seen, they can leave it there. Mm-hmm. It's this, that the options in the thrift saving plans that I've encountered, typically, it, it's not very customizable to, to meet their needs. Like, so you get typically like yeah. these five options. I think it's typical, you know, typical government mentality. They keep it, they'd rather keep it real safe and secure and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not make uh, no options for like a really huge return on, on, on your investment, but, but your money's fairly safe and secure for the most part is I think that's the mentality they have with the thrift yep. savings plan, but th- that was coming online uh, towards the end of my time. So I never, I already had other stuff going on by the time the thrift savings plan came around I never really participated in it. So, um, so what other things in, in, in dealing with military clients, you know, guys getting out, what are the kind of things you typically see with, uh, with your military clientele and as far as their investment strategies as they get out? Well, it varies for each, for each client that I, I'm engaging with. For some, <clears throat> you know, they're transitioning to a civilian career and they aren't typically exposed to uh, what, a, what is a 401k. One issue that I've seen is that if they were deployed, they might have some injuries. They might have um, some be qualified for some disability. That's going to hinder their ability to get life insurance and things like that. So those are things I talk to them. Maybe they're wanting to fund, uh, set up different college education, things like that. So those are the things that I'll navigate with them on, make sure uh, that they have the. Uh, you want to make sure they're always insured, right? They don't. They're not uh, taking on too many. Not exposed to that type of risk, but also plan for the future. And so a lot of the guys I work with, I would say they typically don't retire, didn't do their 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get that to explain what a 401k is, explain what a Roth IRA is, an IRA, and and help them plan for the future. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious from, I don't know what you're willing to share, but um, I'm, I'm curious from an entrepreneurial perspective, if, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're interested in maybe doing what you do, um, how are, how is your fee, how are your fees structured in or percentages or, you know, how do you, how do you make oh. your money doing what you do? So, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about how a commissioned based advisor makes their money. Mm-hmm. I am fee based. And so as a fee based, I typically charge depends on the amount depends on the amount of detail that i'm going to need to do but i typically charge about one percent and i the nice thing about being a fee-based uh versus commission-based is i explain if you invest a hundred thousand with me uh let's say that money goes up well my fee is going to go up so i'm incentivized to make you more money but if that hundred thousand drops right my fee drops uh so i'm definitely incentivized to make mm-hmm. you more money, where a commission-based advisor is, doesn't have that 
is, yeah. a, is it incentivized to do that? And that's that's an annual percentage. So like, if I have a hundred thousand dollars, and you're you're if you're managing a hundred thousand dollars of my money, you're essentially making a thousand dollars a year off of me. Uh-huh. If it goes up, you make more. If it goes down, you make less. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then I also do ahead. financial planning, uh-huh. and so I have some some software that can help predict things. So when I talk to people, if they want to, for instance, retire at sixty two. The software, based on the amount of savings, based on Social Security, based on maybe pensions and things like that, the software might say, well, you only have a 50% chance of having a successful retirement. But if we go to 65, the software might say, you know, you got a 90% chance of retirement. Mm-hmm. And so those, that's another avenue that I help with clients is doing that financial planning and showing them the odds of a successful uh, retirement, showing them forecasting how much money they will have uh, potentially at the time of their death or, you know, various ages, things like that. Yeah. So Matt, um, you know, this, at this stage of the game, you pretty much have left uh, the, the, the warm fuzzy feeling of being in the nest of the J-O-B working for someone else you've, you've become successful as an entrepreneur. You, you, you're, you're doing it on your own. Um, yep. could you ever imagine going back and, and, and having to work for someone else or now that you've made it, is it, is it worth it to you? I definitely consider myself, uh, very fortunate to start a business. It's something I love and I'm passionate about. If anything, you know, when you typically work for a job, we work for someone, you do an eight hour, a job right mm-hmm. and it's not uncommon for me to work 14 hours a day but yeah. it's 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 odd i'll work 14 hours and and i'm not down i'm not depressed i'm i still have energy i still have drive because it's something i love to do yeah it's something i'm passionate about i enjoy helping people it but it's odd yes it would be very tough for me to go back and work for someone yeah. uh in in a different capacity so, yeah, the saying is you'd rather work 80 hours a week for yourself than 40 hours a week for someone else. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Usually we, once you've crossed over, we refer to that as you're, you're now officially unemployable. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, you know, from if somebody wants to contact you for uh, investment advice, uh, maybe somebody getting out of the military, they've already been out for a while, what to do with the thrift savings plan, uh, you do cater to military clients. Uh, how would somebody get in touch with you? You can either go to uh, my website, Maciel Wealth Management, M-A-C-I-E-L, wealthmanagement.com. You go to Facebook, um, Maciel Wealth Management, and look me up those ways. All right. And I do want to give you the last word. If, if you're talking to somebody that's getting out, and um, you know, if I hadn't ended up uh, – staying in aviation and, and going into commercial aviation, I'd actually seriously considered, you know, going out being a financial planner because I was heavily into investing and all that stuff uh, for many years. Um, really enjoyed uh, all the research and reading about it and planning, planning wealth and all that. But if there's somebody out there that's looking to maybe get out and become a financial advisor or wealth management type person like you're doing and help other people out with their investment strategies, 
you know, how, what what kind of advice would you have for them getting into this kind of business, and you know, in particular, uh, eventually being able to go out on your own? I would encourage them to men, to shadow a person, or kind of just ask them, take them out to lunch, learn more about the job. It is you have to build trust with your clients, and so there's a it, it it's. It's not just going and talking investments with people. You have to understand their needs. There's a little bit of psychology component. Learn what their fears are. Some people do not want to be in the stock market. They want to be in bonds. And, mm-hmm. and really understanding what the what type of investment is. There's so many new investments coming out. We talked about the emergence of ETFs. There are cryptocurrencies. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff coming out. And so having to really study all that. But there you got to learn marketing. And I think become very comfortable with like the psychology element involved with it. I think going and shadowing somebody, getting a, take them out to lunch, learn about the business as much as possible before you jump in. Awesome. All right. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your personal story and uh, talking, love talking about investments and um, retirement strategies and that kind of thing. So it's always a good refresher for me. Uh, Definitely don't uh, sit down and read and discuss things like that with folks like I used to. So um, appreciate it and uh, good luck. To, uh, good luck in your look forward to your future success. And uh, maybe we'll have you on the show back here in another year or two when you're like uh, some majorly successful financial guy and uh, talking on the news channel, you know, about investments. Hopefully. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Joe. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. All right. These two Marines are asking Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>